The book of Colossians, however you prefer to turn there. As we kind of get situated, I got a question for you. Uh, does anybody like popcorn? Anybody like popcorn? I know Corinne does, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a good late night snack, right? Sometimes in the middle of the day, it's okay to have popcorn. Hey, did you know that um, the reason that popcorn pops is because, most of you may know this already, but um, th- there's moisture inside every kernel. And when you add heat to moisture, it turns to steam. And when steam gets hot enough, steam rises. And so eventually, uh, what's on the inside of every kernel, uh, once it gets heated up enough, it pushes on the outside and it comes out. And that's when we start hearing the, the popping, all the popping. Uh, so, you know, our, our relationship with God is kind of like that. You know, because uh, when our, our, our relationship, our faith, when it gets heated up by Bible study, by coming together, by prayer, by worship, all these different things that heat up our, our, our faith, eventually what's on the inside has to come out, Right? And I think probably uh, the reason why uh, sometimes Jesus is not coming out of us is because there's no heat there. Well, the, the book of Colossians talks about uh, what that looks like. When, when our relationship with Jesus gets heated up enough that what's inside comes out, what does that really look like in our lives? Remember, we started Colossians just, just last week. Uh, so much rich truth in it that we can't get through it in just, just one week. Uh, Colossians answers the question, okay, so what makes the gospel of Jesus different than any other religion? Uh, It was written to the church at Colossae where syncretism was quite popular. Remember that word syncretism. Say that with me. Syncretism. Uh, Syncretism is taking what I like from a number of other religions and melding them together to make one custom tailored to fit my desires. Uh, The problem is it's not about me or my desires, and Jesus does not need a tailor. Uh, he is a one-size-fits-all hearts who are willing to surrender to him and accept what he did by faith on the cross to pay for their sins. Some of the reasons that we saw last week why the gospel is different than any other, uh, it's received by faith, not by works. In fact, faith is the anti-work. There is nothing that you and I can do to earn salvation. Consequently, there is nothing we can do to lose salvation. Uh, There is nothing about salvation that depends upon what we do. Salvation is dependent upon what Jesus did. Ephesians 2 tells us that even our faith is a gift from God. And so this is different than all other world religions because they require people to to keep this checklist in order to be in, in order to to gain favor with God. Secondly, we saw uh, the result of this gospel is love. And we know now, this, most of the time when we talk about love in the Word of God, this is agape love. True, unconditional, not self-seeking, God-like love. Uh, now this is a different, world, a different love than what we see in the world. Our faith in Christ makes us different. It makes, it makes us see people in a different way. It makes us see people through that lens of truth and love. Religion doesn't require a change. Just religion doesn't require a change. But a relationship with Jesus results in it. We also saw last week this gospel brings hope. A living hope. Something that we cannot fathom completely. Our hope is in heaven. 
uh, Colossians 1 talks about. Where nothing bad, nothing negative will ever happen. Where everything will always be good forever. Because sin will be abolished and Jesus will be worshipped as he rightfully deserves. And in this we hope, in this we persevere. Finally, we saw last week, um, the gospel is truth because its foundation is Jesus. He is the truth. And uh, you can go ahead and remind your neighbor, we really haven't seen anything. We ain't seen nothing yet. Go ahead and remember that. We ain't seen nothing yet. Because when we get to uh, Colossians 1, 15 and following, it says Jesus is the image of of the invisible God, the exact replica. We're going to read them again because they're so good. You want to know what the invisible God looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what the invisible God sounds like? Listen to Jesus. You want to, you want to know what, what, he, what he does? Look at, at Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God because he is God, the firstborn over all creation. It means Jesus is first. His name is above every other name. For by him all things, say all things, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or or principalities or powers. All things, say all things, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, say all things, and in him all things, all things consist, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things... He may have the preeminence, where it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. This is why Jesus is different from every other idol. Because all these things are true of no one else. No other idol took us who were once alienated from God and now has reconciled us to God. No other idol took us who were enemies of God and now presents us holy, blameless, and above reproach in God's sight. This is why Christianity is so awe-inspiring. This is why it should never lose its power in our hearts, uh, even though we've heard it over and over again. Okay, so what does it look like when this relationship with Jesus, our faith gets heated up and what's inside comes out. Well, on your outline. Uh, first, the gospel, it gives us a heart to serve. The gospel gives us a heart to serve. Let's pick it up in Colossians 1.24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what was lacking in the, actions, in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God with which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations but has now been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom 
that we, that we may present every man perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, striving according to his work, which works in me mightily. So what we see is Paul is always an example to us. He followed the example of Jesus to the point of suffering in order to minister, in order to be faithful to what God called him to. Verse 24, it says right there, for the sake of the body, which is the church. The the heat of what was on the inside came out in the form of serving for Paul. This brings us to the importance of each one of us serving the body of Christ in whatever capacity God calls us to. Now, I would say this for the most part. uh, We cannot call what we do to serve the church as suffering. Now, some of you nursery workers may may think differently. I I understand that. Um, Sacrifice, yes, but suffering, not so much. Uh, Certainly nothing like uh, what Paul and what Jesus went through. See, when we serve the church, our lives are not in danger. When we serve the church, there's not a threat of being beaten or sent to jail. I think we can safely say, if, if the Apostle Paul could see how easy it is for us to get plugged in and serving the church, he'd probably wonder why we're all not. See, Paul understood the mystery. Uh, mystery here, did you, did you catch that word there? Verse 27, 26, 27. Uh, mystery here means something that was once hidden from, from, from by, excuse me, by God, but now has been revealed to his people. Here it is, verse 27. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's, that's the mystery. Christ in you. So when what's inside gets heated up enough, it will push on the outside so that the outside has to give way. Paul was striving to serve in the midst of suffering in order to present every man perfect in Christ, it said right there. I wonder what Potosi would look like if we did the same. The gospel should give us a heart to serve. That brings us to chapter 2. How else does this gospel affect our lives? Number two, it gives us wisdom. It gives us wisdom. Uh, For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Notice what he wanted for the Colossians. That their hearts would be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So notice, all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Christ. Uh, Verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. And he's going to go on to list four areas that people might use persuasive words to deceive us. These all have the potential to undermine Christianity. Uh, Verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So four specific areas that we need wisdom because we can be cheated, it says, or literally carried away from the truth. The first one is philosophy. Philosophy. Now, uh, philosophy gets really deep, and so the, the most basic Pastor Jim definition that I can come up with uh, is opinions. Philosophy is, is opinions. By, by definition, um, it, it refers to speculative inquiries. So, um, Pastor Jim definition, whatever you want to call it. Opinions, you can write that down. 
So, um, am I saying that people's opinions can sway what we believe? Yes, that, that's true. The message paraphrases Proverbs eighteen seventeen like this. The, the first speech in a court case is always convincing until the cross-examination starts. H- have you ever watched some of those uh, detective shows? Uh, they take you from the, the case's inception uh, from start to finish. And, and they're really good at showing one side of the case. And if you're like me, you're, you're thinking, okay, this guy's got to be guilty. But, but then they take it and they say, they, they kind of they make you wonder. Okay, so then they show some more evidence of this stuff, and, and they, they kind of accuse somebody else. And so then I'm thinking, okay, this guy's not guilty, but this guy has to be. But finally, they get to the evidence, uh, and that's how they convict. See, opinions sway like the wind. Every opinion that, that comes at us can push us in one direction or the other. When it comes to our faith, if we are not standing firmly established on the evidence of the truth of the Word of God, the truth of the Gospel, we will sway with the wind. And that's why we need wisdom. So we aren't swayed by people's philosophies, people's opinions. We have to base what we believe on the Word of God. The second area is empty deceit. Empty deceit. Now Satan is known as the deceiver. And he still uses the same schemes that we see in Scripture. He still twists the truth. He only presents part of the truth to us. He conceals it. That's what deceit means, to conceal the truth. And he does, does it so convincingly that he appears to be right. Back in Genesis 3, remember what he said to, God, to, to Eve. Excuse me. He said, uh, didn't God say you can't eat any tree of the garden? Now, now we know that's not what, what God said. And, and Eve, uh, she got distracted. And, and I can just imagine her saying, well, uh, you know, that's not what God said, but now you've got me uh, thinking about it, and now I'm distracted by what you're really trying to do here. Eve was deceived, and then Adam was deceived, and then Cain was deceived. And, and you can go on throughout history until you get to me, until you get to us. Satan has been deceiving ever since the garden. And that's why we need wisdom to stand up to his empty deceit. Wisdom recognizes that his voice is not the voice of God. He says things like, oh, doesn't what the world have to offer look really good? You know, you could, you could indulge in just a little bit. You probably won't get caught, and even if you do, it's, it's not a big deal. Satan's voice says, how, how do you expect God to use you? You're too far gone. How do you expect God to overcome this issue? He, he, he never will. That, that's the voice of Satan. And he is the deceiver. And his voice can really be the loudest in our lives if we're not careful. We need to recognize that those temptations to question the character of God are from him. And we need to run from them. Proverbs four fourteen and 15. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. That's wisdom. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. That's wisdom. And church, don't we know that even, even Satan likes to take Scripture and twist it 
and take it out of context. Remember when Jesus was tempted, that Satan used Scripture to deceive him. And I know that there are some, some people out there who are preaching the prosperity gospel, who take Scripture and twist it to make people think that if you come to Jesus, He's going to give you anything you want. Anything you want is simply not true. The Word of God doesn't say that. And so we need wisdom to be able to stand up, to be able to test the spirits, as John, uh, 1 John 4 says, in order to know what is true. And that's why we need to daily study the Word of God. We need to know what it says so that we can test any other word against it. Philosophy will cheat you. Empty deceit will cheat you. Uh, number three, it says traditions of men. Traditions of men. Traditions have the, the potential to cheat us. Um, right there in verse 8. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the tradition of men. Now, is this saying that all traditions are sinful and awful? Of course not. Uh, there are times that a church has to pick a side on an issue when, when the word is not explicitly um, on one side or the other. Now, in context, it's talking about legalism. And we've talked about legalism here a lot. Uh, legalism uh, puts more weight on keeping a bunch of rules rather than faith. Legalism says, uh, if you keep these rules, then you'll gain favor with God. It forgets the role of faith in Jesus, which is actually the only thing that gains us favor with God. Legalism forgets about the Holy Spirit's role in our lives to lead us and sanctify us. And church, I'll just say it, I hate legalism. And, And let me admit, as a born and raised Baptist boy, I am more than capable of it. But if we unite under legalism, it's not worth anything. Legalism is what Jesus fought against. It's what nailed him to the cross. And, and many times, rules are set in place to try to protect a church. That, that, that Those are the intentions. But eventually, the reality that we can't keep all these rules comes into play. And, and yet, when we still require others to keep rules... Uh, many times it's, um, you have to keep these rules that I don't struggle with, but then I get a pass on, on the ones that I do, you know. That, that's, that's legalism. It, it, we cannot unite under that. Because uh, people will see us as hip- hypocritical, and they'll want nothing to do with the church or the gospel we proclaim. What was meant to protect the church ends up hurting it. That's why we need wisdom. That's why we have to trust the Holy Spirit. We have to stand on the truth of the Word of God. Now remember, John 1 says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so that is, that is Jesus. There is no firmer foundation than Jesus. And so that leads us to the fourth. I think in, in a way, all of these categories, these first three categories, uh, philosophy, deceit, traditions of men can be summed up in the phrase uh, basic principles of the world. The basic principles of the world. Uh, there in verse 8. We see the same phrase in Colossians 2.20, verse, verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, so it's, it's saying uh, when you said yes to Jesus, you died to people's opinions, you died to the deceit of Satan, you died to legalism. And so it continues, why as the living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of 
the flesh. So opinions may sound good. They may even make you look good and gain you popularity. I mean, we see that in our world today. But if you haven't based them on the truth of the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus, they're not good. Uh, Deceit, it may sound good at first, but if you don't test ideas and temptations against the Word of God and against the gospel of Jesus, it's not good. Because when you do test it against the Word of God, you'll see whatever deception it was, was leading you to a place that was not good. Legalism might initially make people look good on the outside. It certainly did with the Pharisees. But if we don't allow the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus to penetrate our hearts, and we don't let the the Holy Spirit change us from the inside, it's all just a bunch of rules. We might as well just join a country club rather than come to church. See, the church is different. The Gospel makes us different. It gives us a heart to serve It gives us wisdom to test against all this stuff that comes at us, helps us be able to make the right decisions and not be led astray. Are you with me this morning? Ooh. Are you with me this morning? All right. Number three, it kills the flesh. The gospel kills the flesh. Now, flesh is a term that we use to describe our most basic, sinful, selfish state. And every person on the planet has the flesh. But Christ in us makes us new, and so we say it kills the flesh. Uh, Verse 23, these things, so all these things we've been talking about, those four things, the basic principles of the world, indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. None of these things. Opinions, deceit, traditions of men help us in our most basic, sinful, selfish state. Only Jesus does. We sang about him this morning. Jesus in us kills the flesh. Chapter 3, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members, which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with its deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. It's a long list of stuff. But, but this is what our flesh looks like. All, all these fancy words that we, that we just said, this long list, uh, they, they, they're a picture of us without Christ, headed for hell. But Christ in us kills the flesh. Now, notice the next list, if we continue, verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. But above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. 
and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonition, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So this second list here is what the death of our flesh looks like. Mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving, love, the peace of God ruling in our hearts, and thankfulness. Which one steps on your toes the most? Which one, does, which one do you need work on the most? Mercy, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving, love, peace of God in our hearts, and thankfulness. I'll tell you what, all of these are not naturally present in my life. <laughs> they are only present in my life if I kill the flesh by being in Christ. Colossians finishes by showing us how what's inside, when what's inside pops out, it affects our relationships. The gospel changes our relationships, number four. Uh, just like uh, these lists that we've just looked at, God's commands and desires for our homes cannot be attained unless we kill the flesh. Uh, if you read chapter, uh, the rest of Colossians, uh, wives don't naturally want to submit to your husbands, like in verse 18 says. Um, in, in verse 19, husbands don't naturally want to show this godlike agape love. It's, it's sometimes natural for husbands to become bitter towards their wives. Uh, verse 20, kids don't naturally want to obey. Verse 21, dads can naturally be discouraging towards our kids. Verse 22, servants naturally want to rebel against their masters. And so that's why verse 23 just brings it all together. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, whatever you do, See, when, when we do these things as to the Lord and not to men, whatever it is, the last blank on your outline, even menial tasks become worship. Tasks become worship. Uh, when our homes look like what God designed them to look like, it's worship. It brings Him glory. A healthy family unit is a, pic- is a picture of the gospel. When we work, like God designed us to work, it's worship. It brings Him glory. And so we see uh, Colossians, it answers at least two questions. What makes Jesus different than any other religion? Hopefully we can answer that now. How does the gospel affect our lives? It gives us a heart to serve. It gives us wisdom in all these areas that could cheat us from our freedom in Christ. It kills the flesh that is us in our most basic state, and it changes our relationships. When our relationship with Jesus within us gets heated up, eventually what's inside has to come out. And this is what it looks like. As we uh, go into our time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are? And as you know, we like to answer two questions. What has God said to you? 
And what are you going to do about it? Man, of, of all these...